From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool. Come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Well, well, well. What a monumental week it has been, and a roller coaster ride of emotion and anticipation and disappointment and then elation and then, my word, just, uh, well, I'm talking about the release of the JFK files, of course, and the long awaited, uh, release, and it happened this week. Now, uh, Alex Jones reporting earlier today that among the documents released is a report by the Surgeon General at the time and the CIA that JFK was shot from the front, side, and back. Now, most people with a functioning cerebral cortex who actually viewed the Zapruder film came to that conclusion a long time ago, but now it would appear it has been officially confirmed uh, but we will get to um, to discussing those documents in the second hour of the program when assassination researcher James D. Eugenio will be here. Uh, coming up next, Christian mystic John Francis will be here to talk about the global brain conspiracy and the mystic way of radiant love, alchemy for a new creation. Uh, before we get started, as always, uh, let me introduce the boys in the band. On the Gibson Flying V guitar, Ian Robertson, our technical producer. Here in studio on the Rickenbacker bass guitar and occasionally the theremin, Albert Vinzel, story producer. And on the Hammond B3 feature producer, Ryan White. All right now, are you ready for a journey to the center of your mind and the center of your soul? Back in 1975... John Francis had a profound near-death experience that permanently expanded his mind out of its previous limited rational boundaries. He now views life as a highly purposeful and multidimensional evolutionary expression of one universal consciousness. John has advanced training in physics, engineering, psychology, and religious studies, His areas of metaphysical expertise include sacred geometry, spiritual self-defense, peace transmission, and heart-centered meditation. Furthermore, he has deciphered numerical codes that unlock the deepest secrets of key religious scriptures. He is the founder and director of the Center for Mystical Theology and is also uh, the author of The Mystic Way of Radiant Love, Alchemy for a New Creation. Let me hold that up for the people who are watching our YouTube channel. And furthermore, he has a, uh, a new book, a uh, soon-to-be-published e-book, 100 Secrets, Hidden Wisdom for Spiritual Transformation. And when not teaching, John lives as a contemplative hermit in the mountains of Northern California. How do I get that job? I would love to be a contemplative hermit. John John Francis, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Thank you very much. All right. Well, we're glad to have you aboard. Let me ask you about uh, life as a contemplative hermit. What does that yeah. entail exactly? Well, it's not as austere as it may sound. Uh, that book was written 20 years ago. Right. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, on the, on the back of the cover. And basically I had a main, you know, a regular job. I lived in the world. I taught at the college, all that stuff. It was just, 
I did spend a lot of time um, at a very nice place in the Redwoods, in the mountains, uh, and that's where I did a lot of my meditation and writing, and that's where I actually wrote the uh, the book, The Mystic Way of Radiant Love. That's out of print now, but um, so, you know, I just put that in there <laughs> because that's sort of the way I was living. Sure. Um, let, yeah. let me add... Let me let yeah. me go back to your. Um, you served in the Seventh Fleet in the Navy. What what uh, rank were you? I was a lieutenant JG. Um, uh, that was a very very interesting uh, experience. During the uh, I didn't expect that to be a turn in my life, but after I graduated from college, I was in graduate school, and so, well, as soon as I graduated, in those days, you I was during the Vietnam War. I lost my draft deferment and. Uh, uh, the only lottery I ever won just happened to be the lottery to be drafted. <laughs> there you go. So I was number 27, and uh, number one would be the best. So they, so they, I said, well, I think I'd uh, like to be on a ship. Um, so that's what happened. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so and, was, and then in, in seven, 1975, you have this, what you've described as a profound near-death experience, although I, I, I can't imagine any near-death experience would be anything but profound. Uh, what, Correct. Tell me about that. What happened in 1975? Okay. First of all, I had been out of the Navy for a couple of years. I was in graduate school um, going for a Ph.D. in experimental psychology. I was doing my research on human memory, and I was getting ready to present, uh, you know, the, the, the paper, of the research I was going to do for my, for my doctoral dissertation. And I was trying, one day I was trying to decide which of two theories is uh, true theory A or B. We don't have to go into the details right now. And so I got into a very introspective state of consciousness and went back and forth between the two theories. And finally I said, what is truth? I, you know, I got to the point where I had to ask what is truth to decide <laughs> which theory I would support. And I got repeating that to myself inwardly uh, for like hours at a time. And what happened was, I understand now what fully happened was, I basically gave my brain a, a question that it couldn't answer. <laughs> it short-circuited. <laughs> but yeah, it blew a circuit, literally. I mean, literally, it blew a circuit in the brain. And, of course, the brain is connected to the body, so the whole body was essentially caught on fire, in a sense, uh, literally, a spiritual type of a fire. And I had no preparation for, for this type of a situation. First of all, I never used drugs either. I was, you know, I don't even take aspirins. And I had no background in metaphysics. So I just laid down and I tried to fall asleep because I had a big day the next day. I said, well, maybe this will help. And to make a long story short, I, I, it became very, very, even thoughts became painful in that state. And what happened was I discovered that if I put my attention between thoughts, I got some relief from the uh, intense suffering I was in. And that sort of helped. And then at one point I got very deep and I just, you know, prayed to God. I said, I can't, I don't, can't take this anymore. And I just totally let go at a very, very deep level. And when I did that, I got sucked right into my spine, into the spine, right up the top of the head. And off we went to the races. <laughs> it was totally unexpected. I hovered a little bit above my head. I, I understand now I was in the astral plane. I felt a ring of beings surrounding me, and they were beaming love, rays of love, like laser beams, right into the center of my chest. That gave me a tremendous amount of courage. I let go even more, and I went up into what they call the third heaven, 
and um, that was uh, that was that was the beginning of my journey. Wow! Now, help me. You have the background in metaphysics. I do not, although I I, I talk about it on the air from time to time. But the differentiate between a near death experience and an out of body experience, because I mean, were you clinically? Okay. Is there any way of knowing were you clinically dead for a period of time? No. Okay. Okay. That's that's. Uh, I understand th- th- this point, and I could have called it a lot of different things. Technically, I got to a point in in this experience where if I, I felt that if I had let go even deeper, I wouldn't come back. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, I was near the boundary between coming back and not coming back. You know, one could call it a cosmic experience, but it was I was out of the body initially, and then I went to, um, you know, a state of pure consciousness. So... You know, most near-death experiences, uh, very interestingly, it was the next year, 1976, that Raymond Moody came out with his book, that the term near-death experience, right. I certainly didn't know about it. And so most of the experiences you you hear regarding near called near-death experiences, someone either has a severe illness or an accident or, or something like that happens. Right. Mine was more, I would call it a spiritual emergency that had happened, and... It's the same thing, but the dynamics are the same, really, because in both cases, I think in a traditional near-death experience, one is forced into it because the body just shuts down because of the trauma or the illness. In my case, I let go of the body consciously, willfully, and so, but the consequences are both the same. The process is, is the same, one of being drawn into the central channel, the spinal calm, which is why I understand now why people often say they're going through a tunnel. Um, so interesting. Yeah, so that a, that tunnel is the journey up the spine into what some might realm. call the crown chakra, or is, yeah, right through the crown chakra. Right. Sometimes people go through the third eye. I went through the crown. It depends. Uh, but the, you know, the terrain is this. this the terrain is the same regardless of how you get there. Some people have this experience in meditation. Um, you know, so the journey is basically the same. It's what triggers it that's different. And I think everyone who has this so-called near-death experience, it has a, 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 they're all unique. Did you and come so back? Used, Sorry, John. But did I, you? I, I use the term near-death experience as sort of a shorthand that people can relate to. Sure. Uh, sure. Uh, rather than having to describe all the details. So that's basically, is, is that pretty clear? It's, it's crystal clear. Uh, John right. Francis is with us, the author of The Mystic Way of Radiant Love, Alchemy for a New Creation, and uh, his soon-to-be-released e-book, 100 Secrets, Hidden Wisdom for a Spiritual Transformation. We're heading into a break. Let me ask you the question now. We'll, we'll begin the conversation and continue it after the break. But you went right. into this near-death experience, as a result of sort of a, um, a short circuit over this question, what is truth? When you came back into your body, were you any closer uh, to getting that answer? And did you receive the answer while out of the body? We'll, we will uh, address that on the other side, literally and figuratively, I suppose. This is Richard Serrett. Some might say I'm having a near-life experience. And we will come back with John Francis right here on The Conspiracy Show. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. John Francis is with us. 
the mystic way of radiant love, alchemy for a new creation. So after this near-death experience, you, uh, you snapped back into your body. Uh, is that yeah. the way it happens? Uh, yeah, by the way, I had another near-death experience during the break with Skype, but that's another story. <laughs> <All right>. uh, <laughs> okay, what happened? But to answer your question about... Um, what is you know, truth? Like, the answer, and the answer to the question was, whatever gets you to this state, that's truth. Whatever and gets you to this state? The state of oneness with the universe, okay. pure consciousness, whatever gets you there. And I understand the reason. I was at, you know, when I was going through this process initially, I was a very rational person. Remember, I had no background in metaphysics, no meditation, no drugs, nothing. Just I was trained in physics and mathematics and engineering. And I thought truth was like a, an idea or a mathematical formula. You see, and that's what I was trying for truth. And, th and the answer I got was, that's not what truth is with a capital T. Truth with a capital T is something that one experiences or something that one merges with. Um, it's not something you can, can capture in an idea. But you believe that's in an do you believe in an objective truth? Yes. Yeah. I'm not one of those people that believes everything is subjective. <laughs> that's. Uh, uh, there's an absolute truth, an absolute reality. I believe in God, by the way, but, you know, not somebody with a little gray beard. Uh, and I believe there's, you know, God exists whether I believe in God or not. So that's an object, you know, that's an absolute, there's absolute realities. Right. But one, what one can have a relative experience of it, you know, within the brain. We, hopefully we will get to that where the, where the brain, fits into this whole process. Yes, I do want to get to that and also the sort of the, um, you know, sure, the, sure. Uh, the the soul and so forth. But I, I want to ask you, uh, as a, why a Christian, why a Christian mystic? Why not a Buddhist? Why not a Kabbalist? Why not a Hindu? Why not a Jew? Why a Christian mystic? Okay, well, I was raised Christian, first of all. Okay. And at the time, though, I really, that I had this experience, I was more of a scientist and not, you know, religion was something that, uh, that wasn't real, like most, you know, I don't want to say this, but it wasn't, you know, the central, I had like this, my belief systems came from science. <laughs> and, uh, because that's how I was raised and, and, you know, religion was something, you know, for Sunday. But, what happened from this experience is when I came down from this experience, the thought came into my mind, or the saying, if thine eye be single, thy body shall be full of light. Uh, you know, I wasn't a Bible student at the time, but I, when I heard that, I was aware that it was from the Bible, and instantly when I had that experience, I had the insight that there was a whole nother level to the Bible, a deeper level beyond the symbols and metaphors that was conveying, conveying a very profound truth and profound truths, but they've been lost because we've been taught in what I call brain theology to just take a literal interpretation of everything. So, you know, that was something that I rejected, the literal interpretation and that's all I thought there was. But after this experience, I realized if an eye be single, body be full of light. That was an actual description of a mystical state where light enters into the mind and body and soul. So I then got a very deep 
appreciation of what was in the the Bible. And actually, as I've gone deeper and deeper into into the mystical path, I actually appreciate at the very center of all traditions, I find there's a common core to all of them. And um, and some fundamental you know, differences. And some fundamental differences, but actually the differences that exist exist more when you talk to people that are into dogmas. And uh, but when you, you speak to um, a Christian or a Buddhist or a Kabbalist or a Yogi or a Hindu, you know, when I speak to them personally, asking them questions, mm-hmm. which we're going to discuss tonight. I find that those who go deep within themselves, we have a common experience. In other words, the inner life is the same. The the cosmology, the cosmos is the same, regardless of what you call yourself. That doesn't change by our beliefs. So the people that are most into interior, the interior life and experiencing inner realities we agree. Mystics tend to agree. <laughs> All right, let's talk about uh, the, the anatomy uh, of the soul. And I, I wanted, as a point of departure, talk about one of uh, Jesus' parables, because you say yeah. that these parables are just rich with, with mysticism, and, and, so, and, and this has been overlooked. So if we talk Correct. about, for example, Jesus' parable of the mustard seed, how does that relate, uh, how does that relate to the anatomy of the soul? That's wonderful. You're getting right to the point of it. Point, no pun intended. <laughs> the singularity, the mu- as it were. Yes, and the mustard seed, actually, it's, it's interesting. I wrote that book 20 years ago, and what happened was when I was writing that book, I had a very profound meditation experience. Now, that book was written in 97, which is almost over 20 years after my near death, but I had a very ex- profound experience one day when I became aware of a, of a deep point within the center of my consciousness. And I thought to myself, is this the mustard seed in the, that was mentioned in the Bible? And, you know, I just put that question out there, and two, about two or three days later, I was walking down in town, actually it was in Santa Cruz, California, and they had a bookstore called Logo, they still do, Logos Books, Logos is very interesting for those who know what the Greek word means. It's the, the word. word of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the word. So I went into the bookstore and in the metaphysical section, and a book, I think, believe it, literally fell off the shelf. It either fell off or hang off, whatever it was, it jumped out at me. I opened the book, and I opened to a page, and what it was, it was a book that was comparing uh, metaphors and across different tr- spiritual traditions. And I opened to the page where it talked about the mustard seed, and I practically fell over, you know. And it appears in different traditions. It appears as the center point of the soul. In the Upanishads in India, they talk about uh, the true self is smaller than a grain of rice, smaller than a barley seed, and then it says smaller than a mustard seed. Hmm. And so it's the point within, the, there's a point within the center of the soul which is a point where the individual soul makes contact with the universal God. It's the point of contact. It's also not only a point of contact, but it is literally a seed. There's a number of seed parables in the Bible and in other traditions. And Meister Eckhart said, pear seeds grow into pear trees, and God seeds grow into God. So... What he's telling us, that's a mystic who got into a lot of trouble with the church, uh, Meister Eckhart. Yes, yes. Because he was talking like that. 
And the idea is, my understanding is that consciousness is an infinite field with an infinite number of points within it. Each point can grow uh, in a fractal way to, you know, grow into, um, into a godlike being because we're made in the image and likeness of God. That potential is within us. And it's very interesting. That, so I got that confirmation. That was a book and different scriptures, and then I found that mustard seed scripture in Buddhism and other traditions. It's in the Kabbalah. And, and just recently I, I read a poem by St. John of the Cross, a great Christian mystic. It's called The Living Flame of Love. And he described an experience he had where in meditation his whole soul became inflamed. And he said in this poem that this, inflaming of his soul began from the center of his soul, that's his words, and he said that center is the mustard seed. So right there that told me that he understood the meaning of that parable in a very mystical and inner way. And of course he didn't come out and say that, that's what the parable meant, because if he did that he probably would have been taken to the... uh, well, they have a nice some devices there where they strap. What do they call that? I forget what it's called, but the rack. Been, <laughs> yeah, the rack. He would have been in trouble. So they have it in, and uh, uh, yeah. So that's um, so. That's a long answer to your question, but you hit at the one at the top. It's extremely important. This idea that when in each of us there's a seed. And uh, there's another parable that Jesus talked about. He said, unless the seed fall into the ground and die, it shall abide alone. And that is a sense describing the human condition. The human condition is that consciousness projects these points into matter. And this planet is a very harsh planet, and there are many challenges. And these challenges, when we respond to them with love, from the from our center of our being, that this seed starts to germinate, and we um, we grow into the divine being. It's it's the process of theosis, which I know you're familiar with, mm-hmm. uh, which means that in the Greek in the Orthodox tradition it means divinization, and that's our destiny. We're on Earth for spiritual evolution, and we're at a time in the point of this in our planet's evolution where many people will. Uh, are starting to consciously participate in this process of unfolding into the next level of human uh, evolution. The idea of of, um, our divine beings, our divine selves, is there not a danger there of perverting that message to likening ourselves as gods, which is, I think, really at the root of the transhumanist movement and so forth? Ah, great. I'm glad we're getting into that. You're reading my mind. You're on the same track. First of all, we, we don't become human unless we cultivate those divine potential within us. And that means love, and that involves grace. But, you know, Jesus said, ye are gods, and the things I do, you shall do in greater. So the danger is when the ego, the false self, which is located in the brain, the true self is located in the spiritual heart. As a, as a point which unfolds. And right, transhumanism is a very, in my opinion, a misguided, uh, a misguided attempt to achieve our divine potential. It's something that's coming from the human brain, the false self. It 
you know, it, it has a glimmering of a potential in how we could be more than how limited we are as humans. Yet the idea that you're going to do it by enhancing the brain, by attaching it to computers, by doing all these other ideas, uh, creating a global brain, which in, in my estimation, the natural brain is already part of a simulated reality. Now they want to create a a simulation within a simulation, artificial intelligence, which is going to take us farther away from our divine potential and what we could become. It's, it's, um, you know, it's atheism gone trying to become gods. I think that's where the danger is, and it's it's some it's a direction where there's there's really a battle going on on the planet now. Which what where, which direction are we going to go in? Are we going to go in the direction of the transhumanists, which are basically uh, wanting to turn the whole planet and us into you know automatons? Uh, yeah, I call or, them flesh going, flesh yeah. robots. Flesh robots. robots. Yeah, in other flesh words, robots, they can be yeah. controlled. And the see the brain. This goes back to the Garden of Eden. There were two trees in the Garden of Eden, which is very important to discuss now because that that particular story or myth and myth does not mean something that's false. It means something that's not, you know, literally true, but has great mystical significance. There are two trees in that garden: the tree of the Garden of Good and Evil, which um, you know we all know the story. And we're told that it's an apple tree, or we're told it doesn't matter what the tree is. Uh, they disobeyed the command, and for that they have to suffer, and everything else has to suffer on earth for all, you know, wherever. But mystical, the mystical understanding of that tree, from my research, and inner and cross, cross-cultural and, and interreligious, is that it refers to the human nervous system, this tree, and the brain in particular. It's the knowledge of good and evil because it's what it gives us the experience of duality, of pleasure and pain, of the, all of the suffering that we have. And the tree of life is, if you want to get physical, you could call it the circulatory system and the heart, but actually it's deeper than that. There's a spiritual heart that's deeper than the physical body, that's deeper than the soul, that's actually, you know, an extension of the divine. Um, it's spiritual. There's three levels physical, psychic, and um, spiritual, just like there's the first heaven, the second heaven, and the third heaven. And, the, you know, and then the question comes, why did God put this tree in the middle of the brain, nervous system, which is just inherently, it has what's called a negativity bias. Or, uh, psychologists these days have coined that term, and what they've discovered is the brain is inherently wired to be fearful to pay more attention to the negatives in the environment than the positives. Because if you miss a banana one time on a tree, you're not going to die. But if you miss a tiger in the woods one time, that may be the end. So it's hardwired to be negative. It's hardwired to be fearful. It's hardwired to be um, wor- to worry and so forth. So that John, i got to you- jump in here because we have uh, some music coming up under me, which means... We are heading into a break. On the other side, we'll uh, continue this conversation. The Mystic Way of Radiant Love, Alchemy for a New Creation. Christian mystic John Francis, my guest. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show. 
Big Brother is listening, and so are you, to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. October 26th marked the federal government's deadline to release the 3,100 unseen files, a deadline that was set by Congress in 1992 under the President John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act, and uh, the documents uh, have been held in the National Archives, and uh, th- most of those are already uh, uh, are, are already public. However, we will uh, delve into some of the more interesting aspects of this latest release uh, when James D. Eugenio, assassination researcher, joins us after the uh, top of the hour. Right now, John Francis stays with us, Christ- Christian mystic and the author of Radiant Love, The Mystic Way of Radiant Love, Al- Alchemy for... Uh, the new creation, just because time is tight and obviously some of these metaphysical ideas are, 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 are well, most of them are complex and require a long time. But we were talking about uh, the uh, the tree of knowledge of good and evil and uh, the tree of life from the uh, the book of Genesis. Uh, so sort of in a, what you're saying is that sort of metaphorically or um, I guess in a, in a way it's a metaphor, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that's that's the brain, and the heart. Uh, the tree of life is the heart mind, uh, which I guess is centered in in the soul. Getting back to that mustard seed, correct? Yeah. Um, this is a, um, and you know there are questions like who we are. Um, I would answer that question in a, in a core of our being. We're, we're we're consciousness, and we're at one with God. I don't subscribe to the notion that we're separate from God. We may feel separate from God, we may be estranged from God, but at the very core of our being, in consciousness, you know, there's no separation. So it's a question of re, um, regaining that awareness. And that central point, the, you, know, the, 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 you know, the fine point of the soul, is, uh, as it's called, is surrounded by various bodies. We have a physical, we have a, um, well, to simplify it, a mental body, emotional body, and a physical body. And even in the Garden of Eden, this is mentioned, because it says there that God, when when he cast Adam and Eve out from the garden, he covered them with um, coats of skin. Now, people take that literally and think that God went around and skinned some poor animals and clothed them because he didn't want to look at their naked bodies. (laughs) Uh, but actually, um, Bishop Origen, one of the early church fathers, that first, uh, I believe the first century or around there, first century, second century, he interpreted that, he understood the meaning of that, that it refers to these different layers, uh, in Kabbalah they call them kalipats. They're just layers and they're called koshas in, in yoga. They're different layers that we have to our body. We have a physical, a psychic layer with the astral plane and so forth. And at the very core of our being is the spiritual, the mustard seed, if you want to call it that, or a star seed. And the purpose of being encapsulated in that, in other words, at the core of our being is a tree of life, and then we have a nervous system on the surface, which is this tree that gives us the experiences of pleasure and pain and suffering and so forth. And how these two work together is that these the suffering that comes from this, uh, you can think of it almost like a vir- as a virtual reality suit that's placed around our spiritual essence, uh, that the challenges of life, the positives and the negatives, um, 
when we respond to them spiritually from our heart with love, then the seed grows. St. Teresa of Avila talked about the enlargement of the heart, how we literally grow spiritually when we respond spiritually from the heart to the challenges of the world. Uh, if we react, which is different from responding, if we react to the world, in other words, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, then we're just caught up in the matrix. We're caught up in the matrix and we really don't grow spiritually. And what, what happens is if someone hits us and we hit them back, then we're going to get another hit, and then the negative energy comes back to us maybe more than originally, and so we have another opportunity to respond to that positively, and then we'll grow again. So these so, these added layers yeah. um, came after what, what what we refer to as the fall of man, when Adam and Eve got kicked out of the garden. First of all, what then what is that business of, of uh, you know partaking of the fruit from the tree of good and evil? I mean, I'm, I guess I'm a bit of a literalist when it comes to, to Genesis and, and, uh, and the yeah, garden, and I'm thinking that, you know, there's some carnal act with the, the serpent, the, you know, the shining yeah. one, Satan. Uh, that's, that's what got them kicked out. What, what, what do you think it was? Um, you know, basically, you know, the rabbis and the early Christian mystics, they all understood um, uh, St. Augustine. You know, when you read them, they all understood that it's metaphysical. I mean, that it's, excuse me, I mean, um, metaphorical. They understood it was never to be taken literally. There are different levels on which you can interpret something. You can get a moral understanding, a psychological lesson, or a spiritual. And what it basically is telling us about how deceptive the experience we get through our five senses can be, how deceptive it is, and how when you are enticed by the five senses to look for happiness in the five senses, which can only give us conditional happiness. In other words, when the external conditions are in just the right way, we have just enough money and the relationships and everything else, when those conditions, the weather is just right, then we're happy. And then any of those things change, we're unhappy. That's conditional happiness. So that's the, the temptation of this, this tree of so-called positive and negative, good and evil. That's the temptation to, to eat from that tree, to think it's going to give you nourishment and happiness and fulfillment. Uh, so this is the way it's, it's interpreted. Why is the serpent, you know, that's a long story about how it relates to certain energies in the body and so forth. Um, All right, let me jump in here because this was a short segment, John. We'll come back and uh, continue to talk about... Uh, I guess the separation, man, from God, because we continue to live in our brain, and we'll talk about this electronic global brain that has been emerging here on planet Earth, uh, and how that widens the chasm, if you will, between uh, humanity and God, and I guess how we get back to the how we get back to the garden, and uh, I guess the path uh, is through the mustard seed, perhaps. John Francis uh, stays with us. The Mystic Way of Radiant Love, Alchemy for a New Creation. And just a reminder, top of the hour, James Eugenio will delve into the JFK Files. Stay with us. You're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Welcome back. John Francis is with us. And uh, John, give us the website. You have a link on, on your website. If you click on that link, I don't have a website per se, but if you click on the link, it'll take you to a, another a website where my article on uh, Centering in the Heart is, which is very good to read. And you click on that, 
article, and it's on page five. You'll get my um, email address. You can read the article, and the first 100 people that respond to the email, I will send them a pre-publication free ebook of this upcoming ebook. 100 um, Secrets Hidden Wisdom for Spiritual Transformation. Right. Excellent. I will send that. It may take a few weeks, well, a few weeks or a month. They'll get it. And even if they go over the 100, if they read my article and maybe send me, write me a few sentences to show me that they read it, you know, here's the professor coming out, uh, show me that they, <laughs> they read it, I'll, you know, I'll go over the limit. I won't um, deprive any, anyone. All right. Um, so anyone, anyone can email me, and I'll, I'll share with all the things I have to share. So let's talk a, a little bit about uh, the brain again. Mm-hmm. And... Um, the idea that we that perhaps this separation between man and God is a result of us, you know, living completely in our brains. The idea Correct. that we believe the mind and consciousness is centered in the brain, um, and then we have, of course, uh, the uh, as you call it, the the electronic global brain that has been emerging on planet Earth for over the last half century. Uh, almost re- sort of replacing our central nervous system, the internet, and uh, all of our electronic gadgets and satellites and so forth. And, and um, I think McLuhan, Marshall McLuhan used to talk about this, how it has really pulled us outside of our bodies. Our central nervous system, is, it's not our spine anymore. It's, it's out there. You know what very, I'm saying? Very well, very well said, Richard. You said it perfectly. Uh, you, you've got it perfectly. Uh, our brain, even our brain does have, you know, the, and the potential to be connected to our heart. In, in the ideal situation of being enlightened, the brain becomes the tool or the instrument of the spiritual heart, the core of our being. And um, there's a story of Moses leading the people to the promised land. Moses could take the people only to the very edge to look at it. But he had to die, and his brother Aaron had to complete the journey. Aaron was the the priest, so he was the one who was the mystic and had a direct connection, whereas Moses symbolizes the rational mind following the laws, the letter of the law. So there's a meta- there's an explanation for that right there. So what we have to do and what the mystics say is to recenter ourselves out of the brain and into the spiritual heart. And they do that by uh, the different techniques. Now, not all meditation, the word meditation literally means being returned to the center. M-E-D means center. So it literally means being returned to the center. But it's very important to understand that not all meditation takes us to our center. A lot of meditations, are there's all different types, and some come from a certain philosophy that says all life is an illusion, and we just need to escape from it. Annihilation, right. Yeah, annihilation. So people don't realize that because initially all forms of meditation seem to give a little bit of peace and that's sort of like an anesthesia, and that's all people want. You know, they don't want to take the edge off the day in a little meditation. Annihilation or nihilism. That's correct. And that's the big, that's the problem I see is that people don't under, people have lost the vision of the purpose of life where there is no vision that people perish. And so, they're simply using meditation as a tool as a, to sort of, uh, you know, smooth out the rough edges of the day, 
when they come home from, you know, the factory or whatever they're doing, and then they go back, you know, into the rat race again. Whereas rather than being really getting at the purpose of life, so the type of meditation that I uh, discussed in that article, it's on the Center for World Networking, cfwn.org, Center for World Networking. Uh, it talks about bringing the attention down to the heart. And uh, what I, there's a group of mystics called Hesychasts from the uh, Christian Orthodox tradition that talk about bringing the attention down from the head to the heart. Uh, uh, saint Theophan, the recluse, a great Orthodox saint, gave excellent, his sort of contemporary, gave excellent book, I think it's called The Art of Prayers in there, how to bring your attention down to the heart, be aware of the breathing, and so forth. So an actual shift takes place when he said you start the day off getting into your heart, and, and, the, and the aspiration is to go throughout the whole day centered from the heart. The brain becomes the servant. But with this artificial intelligence and the global electronic brain and all these smartphones, phones, and gadgets that take people's attention outward, and, and studies have now come out showing that People, young people are getting depressed by getting, you know, externalized that. It's taking us one step further from the heart. Yeah, it's moving. like a cosmic loneliness. Correct. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's all, um, you know, artificial friends. Oh, I've got a thousand friends, but you really don't have any friends. Uh, it's, but at the root of this is that we are we have been cut off from the divine. That's the, at the root of it. I mean, that's really what we're talking that's about. Exactly. That's the battle that I see going on on this planet. It's a battle for the soul. In other words, the god of technology is being worshipped. And you you know you know the people in the media now that are coming forth with billions of dollars, and that's the vision they want to uh, they want us all to follow. And the problem is they control ultimately the food and the resources. So, you know, it's, it's the mark of the beast in sort of a metaphorical sense. In other words, if you don't go along with the technology, artificial world where the food is all controlled and artificially created, we're gradually losing our freedom to, to, be spirit, to pursue our spiritual destiny. We're, given, we're being given an artificial destiny, an artificial um, future, right. uh, a reality, and people are, are being enticed by this. Instead of going within and contacting our true being in our heart. So the, the idea that we can we can we can realize a paradise, heaven here on earth, uh, by um, by radiating this love. Uh, how do how do we how how is this achieved? Uh, you know what happens is our physical. You know that's that's the ideal. You know that's the ideal. And if the, we can realize that before the earth is transformed, too, because if we pass on, there are, we can function in the higher realms that paradise already exists on the higher realms. So that's another story. But life, the earth can be much better than it is now. And the way it happens is it's called grace. Uh, the matter right now is being controlled by certain physical laws. Okay, We have to eat to sustain ourselves. But it is possible that when the matter in our bodies are become um, coherent and synchronized uh, and resonant with the grace, the radiant sun, at, at the center of our being there's a radiant sun, which is uh, you know, an image of the, 
divine son, that the molecules in our body can actually, our body can, different laws take over the body. And there have been saints. I mentioned uh, Therese Neumann. There have been a number of saints who my book was dedicated to. She was, you know, contemporary saint who, don't, who didn't eat. There are saints that have been demonstrated not to eat because they live, they learn, their bodies learn to live by light. So it's possible uh, to live from the tree of life. But it takes a lot of discipline, and it takes a science. And the whole Bible, from one end to the other, is the science of how to be transformed into a being of light, to undergo the process of theosis, as the orthodox term, the Greek term for it, theosis. And uh, we're not being taught that. We're not being taught the, the meditation and the various practices that that can do that. Instead, we're given artif- artificial technologies. We're given artificial food, we're given all these, uh, you know, the idea of freezing your brain is absolutely ridiculous. The right. mind is not in the brain. The no. brain is just a, uh, you know, so we're being totally, as a society, deluded because we've lost the vision of what the, what the let's talk about the Bible, it's true of other scriptures too, but the Bible is a code book. All the parables of Jesus, I've decoded all of them, each one of them, it's a, it's a coherent system for uh, you know, not hiding your light under a bushel basket, but for being transformed. It's the next stage of human evolution. Do you think uh, uh, Jesus' yeah. resurrection, uh, the resurrection, the resurrection, resurrection is, is him demonstrating, uh, him demonstrating how we be, are to become beings of light? Correct. That's exactly, that's it. It involves the angelic realm. There's a whole science to it. And uh, just reading about it or attending workshops is not going to do it. You actually have to do the discipline of being, you know, transfigured. And so that's the alternative. It's either doing that or buying into the transhumanism, which is giving us a deception. It's a great deception of um, um, trying to achieve greatness, which is it's not going to lead that because you can't do it without being connected to the divine light at the core of our being. Um, John, I've, I've enjoyed our, uh, our hour together immensely. Thank you so much for this. And uh, again, we'll look forward to your soon-to-be-published ebook, 100 Secrets, Hidden Wisdom for Spiritual Transformation. And again, uh, if people go to uh, my website, strangeplanet.ca and uh, the radio show, just click on John's name. That links to a website. They'll find the article there and an email address. And uh, they get if the first 100 people who respond indicating that they've read the article. Uh, you'll send them a, a, a preview of the, of the e-book, correct? Correct. They'll get, a, they'll get the whole They'll get the exact same thing. I'll just send it to them as an attachment. And, and if more than 100 come and, they, and they're sincere and they, you know, they can twist me... To give out more. <laughs> Excellent. All right, John, thank you so much for this. No one be deprived. I'm sorry for the technical difficulties, but um, there is a force out there that, that has a different agenda than the spiritual one. I'm so, glad you mentioned that. I believe that 100%, sir. Thank yeah. you. I've oh. done three hours of interviews, on, you know, it hasn't happened before, so I think we got the word out. We, we won. We do. I've, we've seen the movie before. We know who wins in the end. It's the good guys. All right, John, thank you. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Thanks. James D. Eugenio, assassination researcher, will pour over the JFK files next on The Conspiracy Show.